0: Hello! Thanks for joining. This is Proof of Change, brought to you by Changedow. This is a space to elevate the stories of changemakers using NFTs as a force for change. My name is Drew Simon. In this episode, we continue our recap series on NFT Storyteller Seattle, an event dedicated to bringing together the community to celebrate stories of change. We share with you the interview hosted by David All, Changedow's founder and host of NFT Storyteller Seattle, and Mark Robinson, co-founder of NFT Seattle and host of the Marketing in the Metaverse podcast. Now, before we dive into this story, I wanted to ask a small favor. We're really trying to grow the show and get these incredible stories of change in front of as many people as possible. We need your help to do this. One of the best ways you can help is by giving us a fair rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and drop us a short review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for your help. It means the world and will really go a long way in helping us grow our show. And now, on to the story. At the beginning of the event, before Mark came up on stage, the event opened with some beautiful music from local artist and frontman of Blackheart Honeymoon, Ian Prebo. So I thought Ian could help lead us in again to this story of change.
1: Situation, I got a sin. Drinking from the devil's own violin Now you're lying in a bed of sin. Now you're lying in a better of sin. Oh. Mark, welcome to welcome NFT Storytellers. To Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for coming.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks for shout-out to David for putting this thing together. And shout-out to Lennox and to Joanna for sharing your stories. That was
1: amazing. And to your uh, NFT Seattle team, right? I saw
2: a few folks in the room. Congrats to them as well. Julie was here. Joanna was part of the team, too.
1: So... Heck yeah. You're like an honorary part of the team, as right. is Luis. So yeah. here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, special shout out to James and to Tim uh uh at the Blue Moon Tavern for hosting this. Yeah. I mean incredible. Please tip your bartenders and uh give James a high five. And uh yeah, let's keep doing it here if you don't know, we'll talk about it right. Let's see if that's the right spot. That's all right. All right, so Mark, on to your story. Born in Texas but grew up in Cincinnati and now living life to the fullest in Seattle. Mark is the co-founder of NFT Seattle and the host of the Marketing and the Metaverse podcast. Mark, welcome to Seattle NFT Storytellers. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Happy to be here. All right, let's start with diving into one of the biggest decisions in your life, which was dropping out of college to pursue a career in business. You took on a number of jobs and sales, which bounced you around traveling and ultimately brought you to Seattle where you've lived since 2014. So looking back at that choice, were there any regrets?
2: Ultimately, I would say no. Um, I think there's there's moments when you're in a low point then you judge your past a little bit more emotionally and you think back and you're like, ugh, look where I am right now. Should I have made a different decision? But um, on a normal, like normalized day where I'm not in a very low moment, then, you know, then I feel good about the decisions that I've made, I guess. Um, but no, I would, I think, I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to do it. Right. Like had I finished college, I studied industrial design, did that for a year. It was a five-year program, really amazing program. I really enjoyed that year. Actually, I had a blast. Um, and had I continued on and finished that, then it could have been great. And I, I don't feel like I would have gone down a bad path doing that. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm proud of the decisions that I made and the things that I did kind of went against the grain. It's interesting. My dad would always say like, yeah, you don't have to go to college to be successful. But then when your own son chooses not to go, then you really think about how much you actually believe that, which he did not at all believe that actually. Um, now he does. But yeah, so it was, I think I went through a number of um, some backlash and lack of support, that kind of stuff. But no, I think ultimately looking back, no regrets with dropping out of college and going down the path that I did. So
1: and now you're the social media expert. You even have a podcast around marketing in the metaverse. Uh, uh, well, first, what is the metaverse? <laughs> I was hoping you'd break that up. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: Just because I ask a lot of people that question, and I get so many different answers as I ask different people and I bring them onto the show. So um, the way I see it, it's like a digital way to interact with different people. It's an evolution of the internet that there's a ton of, there's not like one metaverse, right? There's all these different metaversal experiences, metaver- metaversal 3D virtual worlds that people are operating in, experiencing life in, and connecting with people in. And so um, that's ultimately what people are building when they're building the metaverse. What was the other part of the question, or was that the first question? No, that, yeah,
1: What what is the metaverse? How do you describe yeah. it? What, what excites you about the metaverse?
2: If you look at the metaverse today, I'm not that excited about the metaverse. There's nothing that is that compelling from what I've experienced about jumping into a metaverse today, putting on Oculus or doing you know jumping into different things. There's some definitely some cool use cases. One that I've found to be just a better experience is Topia versus if you compare it with like Zoom or something else. Like there's some cool things you can do with it. Different things that of you know various platforms have figured out. But so nothing today is like wildly fascinating about where it exists right now. Um, But I think the vision of what it can become, I think it was um, Evan that talked about it earlier, but allowing people to create these own worlds. And I think once it gets to a point where you can digitally create an experience that's more enhanced than what we experience on a day-to-day right now, where it's more collaborative than jumping onto a Zoom meeting and it's an actually like, it's easy to do it it actually is a better experience. It facilitates more human connection and creates like better relationships. I think that's going to be really cool. Some use cases I think that are going to be awesome is like just making the world a lot smaller. If you can jump into a conversation with somebody that's around the world, feel like you're in a room sitting right next to them, it's translating in real time, then it just makes the world a much smaller, more interconnected place. And so I think as you know, Starlink is out there right now giving a lot more people internet, as that continues to evolve and Billions more people get access to the internet that have never had it, and then they have the ability to communicate in real time with people all over the world. I think the opportunities that will come into effect from that are going to be really, really exciting. So um, we're early, nothing is that exciting about it as of today, but I think the potential is what excites me.
1: In our pre-interview, you mentioned somewhat suppressing your passion for art and design in favor of making it in business and being in a position to support artists and their career. Do you feel like Web3 is bringing you back into those passions and in a position to support artists? Yes.
2: (laughs) Um, So I I would say with, so I, I studied art for a year, right? And I did a lot of freelance graphic design, and I just loved drawing growing up. So art's been a big part of my, like, just childhood and growing up. I've always been artistic and considered myself somewhat of an artist, even though, Joanna, you would not be impressed by any of my artwork. I'm sure it would not make it onto the book yet, but we'll see. Um, but that being said, when I when I finished my first year of college, I remember there was they called it DAP Works, Design, Art, Architecture, and Planning was the school I went to in Cincinnati, and all of these amazing, like innovative, insanely creative projects were out there for display, and you're looking at it. And it was like, oh my gosh, there's like 50 world-changing business opportunities sitting right here for these artists. If they were if they had the resources or the know-how or the guidance to turn this into something that was like actually a real thing, not just a final project, um, but they're all just school projects that was like, all right, great job on your project and then on to the next year. So that for me, that really struck a chord where I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do something where I can come back to this school 5, 10, 20 years, whatever, and be like, hey, that's a brilliant idea. I love what you're doing. This is amazing art. And like, let's actually turn this into something. And so that's always been something that's driven me. Like I go back to that moment frequently. Um, and so that's inspired me for sure in business. But has anybody ever read the book, The Artist's Way? couple people. Okay, cool. Is it good? I'm just starting it. Um, <laughs> 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 so it it talks about like you do morning pages, you write three pages a day. So I'm doing that for about, eight days now. I missed yesterday. Um, But anyways, so I'm just starting through this. And the idea is to like reawaken the artist within and um, bring out all of your inner creativity and let that like reawaken that within you. And it talks about how a lot of people who suppress their like inner artist and who secretly really want to be artists, they suppress it, but they do something where they're supporting artists or they're cheering artists on or they're like championing this artist, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's obviously noble and amazing. And it's not like if you're doing that, you're not doing what you actually want to do, but it did make me question, like, do I just really actually want to be an artist? Not just, not only support other artists, do I actually want to be an artist, which I think maybe I do, I don't know, I'm trying to figure that out right now, but, uh, that being said, there's a lot of different forms of art, like putting on an event is a form of art. Like that was a creative expression in a lot of ways, right? Putting this on as a creative expression. So building a company, building a business, you have to be very creative in the way that you think about things. So there's a lot of different forms of art. But uh, yes, Web3, for sure, when I saw it, it kind of reminded me of seeing all these projects that were brilliant, creative, amazing, beautiful, and never went anywhere because they didn't have the resources or whatever. And I'd always thought, okay, I need to go make it doing something totally outside of art and business, then I can go back and support artists. And when I saw Web3, it's like, wow, the opportunity for artists to actually make it as an artist to do something that's sustainable, where they can like this is what they do and they can actually support themselves and fund what they're doing through web three. It just made it so much more accessible to so many people. And that's one of the things that got me really excited.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I am personally curious because there are, again, there are a lot of artists in the room and Joanna was talking about this idea that it's just hard to be discovered when you're an artist and it seems to be getting a lot worse, which seems bizarre. Because now that they're, it seems like it's easy for us to get our word, like our story out there, but it seems harder to like cut through the clutter. And so I wonder, given your expertise in social media, you've done a lot of tactics, you've seen a lot of things, if people don't have a budget, and let's say their time budget is even less, and they have no one around them to support them, and like, I see... People walk around Gary Vee all day with cameras in his face and, oh my God, he said something, put it up on Twitter, you know. Most of us don't have something like that. So what are, like, maybe if you were to give people a a regimen, kind of like you're finding in the artist's way to reawaken your artist, is there some advice or like the things people could do maybe once a day to start getting their story out into the world?
2: Yeah. So from, so by day when I'm not building NFT Seattle or doing the podcast or whatever else, so run a digital marketing agency, we do a lot of social media marketing, video content for different companies. So um, if you don't have a budget, don't have a lot of time, and you're just looking for a way to get your story out and get noticed, cut through all of the clutter that's out there and all the noise. Um, I mean, you don't have to be super fancy. I think we all support and buy from people that we know, like, and trust and, People don't know that if you never put anything out there. I think even like if you have a brand and you put out art, then you have a way easier time selling it because you already have a brand established, right? One of the reasons Lennox and I had a challenge initially, year one event, we don't have a huge brand behind us. So even though I know Lennox, so it's like, oh, if somebody knew your story, of course they would trust you, but they don't know your story because you haven't put it out there. You haven't built your brand and just shared your story with the world, but that's free to do. So you can do that whether that's, jumping on video and just documenting what you're doing. If you're putting out art, then just documenting whether your face is in it, if you're comfortable with that. Amazing, people love hearing your story and seeing your face. Um, even just documenting the work that you're doing. Some of my favorite like artists to follow, there's there's one guy, he does put his face out there, but I just, I love watching the process of what he does. Um, I feel like you're gonna judge me if I mention an artist, because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm very naive. You're not, that's true. You're very kind. Um, is that better? Okay. Uh, Caleb, Shay something. I don't know. He does this really cool art with paints and he just lets it like drip all over and it's really cool. But I just am so fascinated by the process of how this guy creates his art. And so you don't have to spend all this time curating like Gary V with a team of five videographers following you around and chopping it up and timestamping it and adding captions. Like you can do all that, but you can also just set up a camera to watch what you're already doing anyway you can put a little time lapse on it or do different things. Um, There's some of you guys may have met Alina. She's a good friend of mine. She's an artist locally and she's like an oil painter. She's extremely talented, but just this year she's taken it like reels is low hanging fruit right now. Reels, you guys, if you're on Instagram, those just are constantly popping up. Um, She's gone from like 12,000 followers to over a hundred thousand followers in the past, maybe six months. So she posts a lot of reels, but she's just putting her artwork out there and she's amazing. Like, you watch it and you're impressed. But um but there's she gets massive exposure. She had some even though she only had fifteen thousand followers, some of her reels were getting like a million views. So um I think low-hanging fruit right now as an artist is video content, which works in your favor because video content is very visual. So if you are a like a visual artist in some fashion, what you're creating, then um you can do that. And that wasn't her first one. She's been putting out videos for a long time. So um, don't be discouraged after you've put out three videos and you're like, ah, oh, gotten 17 views. This is terrible. Kat's just started putting out videos and I'm like cheering her on because it takes a lot. It takes courage. Like we've been talking about to actually put yourself on camera and put yourself out there. Um, but eventually it will come across people who resonate with your story, who resonate with your work. And I would say the lowest hanging fruit right now, uh, TikTok and reels, I think where it's going, YouTube shorts and Facebook, uh, pages. There's a lot of opportunity down the road for that. So depending on how aggressive you want to be, go on all of them. If you're just trying to get started an easier way and pick one platform that you can actually stick with and do that. Um, and if you're like, I hate videos, I'm purely like, I only want to do text, find whatever medium works for you. It's not like videos is the only way to get yourself noticed, but I think if you're consistent and you stick with it, you can do podcasting or tweet or whatever works for you, but videos, low hanging fruit. That's what I would recommend.
1: Fantastic advice. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, I heard a clap. Yeah. Yes. Awesome advice, free advice. Amazing. Alright, so let's talk about NFT Seattle. Uh, we heard earlier uh, Lennox's story, uh, very generous with his story, and you know, I wanted to hear your perspective on really this the origin of NFT Seattle, where it came from, how you two even met, and What the heck inspired you guys to say, like, yeah, let's do it?
2: Yeah, we became friends probably about four or five years ago. And um, at FT's, our business was not really part, like, I guess business, we connected on that for sure. Uh, But more just acquaintances for quite a while. And then um, I'm trying to think when we really started, like, actually... I guess we were were all kind of acquaintances, but never hung out that much. And when we really got close, was I would say NFTs brought us more more so together than anything else. And I purchased my first NFT, which was Tom Billu's Impact Theory Founder's Key. Anybody, anybody (laughs) have one of those? Hear that, King of the Shell. This guy. Um, I showed Luis that I had an Alpha Girl Club NFT one time, and forever after that, I've been known as King of the Shill. So anyways, here we are. Um, All in fun. (laughs) So I posted this thing on Instagram like, hey, anybody else buying NFTs? Because I was just kind of like many of us as you enter into it, you discover it, and then you're on your own little journey by yourself. And you don't like, am I crazy? Am I the only one that thinks this is cool? So Posted it on Instagram. Lennox responds, oh, I invested into the same project. And so then we started talking about that. Um, And yeah, I mean, I I helped him out a bit with Satoshi's Index on the marketing side when he was launching that project. And then we had traveled to a few different conferences together. And I had talked to, I remember talking to you, actually, when at the very first uh, Seattle NFT Social Club event. And had said, hey, I bought the domain nftseattle.io. I'm thinking about doing something with it. Not really sure what yet. Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, let's do it. Like, that's awesome. And that was I didn't know what I was talking about. I don't think I said, let's do it. No, you're like, oh, that's you do it. cool, man. Yeah, you do it. And uh, and then so I had, I had this idea. And then Lennox, told like I never brought it up to Lennox. And one day Lennox is telling me, hey, we should put together an event out here. We could do it better than some of these ones that we've been to. Like you said, we are the most unqualified people to actually put on this conference, but um, that was really where it started. And he and I both independently having this idea and then coming together, having been connected more deeply in this space was like, maybe we should do this. And um, yeah, so that was that was the origin of kind of how that idea came together. And then talking to a lot of people, like I said, you, Luis and, and other people that
1: decided to make it happen. So. So I'd like to continue with the conversation around the event. And again, I love to reveal, uh, sort of like the, the truth behind it all a little bit more, the process behind it all, because I feel like unless you've done it, you don't really kind of, you aren't aware of that. So I'd love to hear if there was like a rock bottom moment when you were organizing, (laughs) if you want to share. And also like what, like what happened that kind of pulled you out of that, right? Which, uh, which rock bottom moment?
2: Should I share Lennox? <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, I'll share one moment that comes to mind where, I mean, th- there, was, there was a lot of little setbacks where you think you've got a sponsor and then after a number of conversations it falls through and the, the landscape was changing with crypto. And then I think there'd been a number of events that had good intentions, were like really trying to probably do something amazing for the community, but it just fallen a little flat. And so some of the sponsors were a little cautious. Even some speakers were cautious about going to a first year event because they'd been to others that hadn't gone very well. And so we were starting to get a lot of hesitancy from people. And Lennox and I, like he said, it was driven by, we want to do this amazing thing for the community, for the city. And so there was this uh, group chat. And if some of you are in there, I love you. I have no uh, hard feelings towards you. You're here now. So it's great. We can all be friends. But um, there was this like, web3 seattle nft twitter thread that we got added into and it was like hey here's here's we just got found out who the idiots are that are putting on this conference these web2 grifters trying to make a bunch of money let's ask them all these questions and then they start like just roasting us nonstop and we're like okay we're getting turned down left and right we're trying to put this event on like we have good intentions and then so i would say that was probably the that was like the rock bottom moment when the people you're building it for are like it feels like they're turning on you, right? And you're like, what the heck? Like, we're making no money. We've invested so much money, and now you're coming at us. So I would say that was... Linux, does that qualify? <laughs> that, was, that was probably the worst
1: moment. And then what was... Like, what pulled you through? What was the light that, you know, you were able to get to and sort of pull you out of?
2: I think we probably... Like, Lennox and I probably pulled each other out of moments at different times where, like, had either one of us just been building on our own, it would have been really challenging. Luckily, like, so grateful that, like, I was able to partner with Lennox. And not just Lennox, like, our team came together and was really amazing. It wasn't, like, we didn't hire a team. Like, we just had people that volunteered from the community. And I think that's part of why, like, the community and the heart really came through at the event was, it just was people that believed in the vision, that believed in the mission of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, and I think ultimately, like for me, it was thinking, man, so what are we going to do? Just fold because, you know, some people like, are these the people we're really trying to serve? Like, I don't know. I would never do that to somebody that's trying to like, isn't this good for the city? Like, we all know this is good for the city. Is that really who we're trying to cater to? So just trying to be logical about it, removing ourselves. I'm actually still in it, but, um, like it's like, I'm out. I don't need that in my brain. Um, which was probably the smart move to do to remove the negativity, but, um,
0: yeah, I mean, it was just,
2: it was just encouraging each other and reminding ourselves why we were actually doing it and who we're actually trying to reach and what the greater vision was. And, um, not gonna, like anytime you do anything, I, not anything, but it's not uncommon to get negativity or to have people hate on your idea when you're going against the grain or just doing something that's different that hasn't been done before. And so, um, this was an example of that. But yeah, we, I knew. We knew we would be way more proud of deciding to carry out our vision regardless of, and also to give them credit, like, we don't know what we're doing at the same time. We're like, we really don't know what we're doing. Like, I would be skeptical too if I saw these two random guys putting on this event out here, right? Like, they had every reason to question it. Um, would have appreciated maybe a different approach from uh, how they went about
1: it. But yeah, that was, I guess, how we talked ourselves through that, kept going. So interesting. I'm not in any sort of group chats like that, but I never even knew about that moment. So I'm yeah. sorry you had to face that. Uh, you, know, I've, you know, I've been sort of in that really sad moment during an event uh, in my past. It gets a lot better and easier because it just keeps happening. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Um, anyway, congrats on the event. It was, it was amazing. Um, and thank you so much you. for putting it on. And it was a beautiful expression of creativity and community, and I felt it, and you can't fake it. You can't fake authenticity, and also you guys were very gracious at the end of the event, which is something you don't see often, Um, and I really appreciate that as well. took a lot of uh, uh, integrity and sort of humble leadership, and I don't get to see that often, so thank you. So there's a quote that I want you to elaborate on, because I, I'm still kind of thinking about it, and I, I just wanted to hear your perspective on this. So you mentioned that success can be a progressive realization of a worthwhile pursuit, and I'm going to say that again so that folks can sort of let it settle. Progressive real, so success can be a progressive realization of a worthwhile pursuit. So what did you mean by that?
2: Yeah. Um, I think a, kind of twofold. One, it's a progressive realization, meaning it's progress. So success is not you arrive at some destination. I think success is the journey. The, it's like the steps you're taking to get there. I went to a event from Tony Robbins one time. And the one quote that stuck out to me is he defined happiness as, actually, I don't remember the quote. It's either progress or growth. One of the two, but they're kind of the same thing, right? And so a progressive realization means you're taking steps towards this thing, but you can grow in areas that are not that meaningful. You can make progress in areas that don't actually have, like, does it matter if I grow in this area? I can grow in like ping pong, but does that really fulfill me? Is that like that meaningful or worthwhile? Like, I don't know, maybe for some people it is. Um, So a progressive realization, making progress towards a worthwhile pursuit is something that is actually meaningful. It's actually like, authentic or something that like you actually see a lot of value in is worth all the effort and time and energy and everything that it takes to, to achieve success. So progressive making steps, making progress and
1: growing towards something that's worthwhile. I feel like uh, some of us feel like we never get to the end anyway. <laughs> so. I don't think there's an end. I don't think it exists. Yeah, no. It's a trap. It's beautiful. So, Mark, thanks so much for sharing your story with us tonight. Thank you all for listening to these stories. Um, And uh, as I said earlier, you know, I applaud the perseverance uh, to keep driving, and especially in the face of adversity. Um, Congratulations on pulling a great team together as well for you both, Um, and for giving back to Seattle. I, I feel like Seattle has had a hell of a year in NFT, Like right? There's a lot of stuff that has gone on this year, and... in in FT Seattle. And I appreciate you guys being a huge, massive part of it and doing the large scale event because that could have gone really bad. (laughs) There was definitely a moment
2: where we knew we were putting it on, right? Like when Tom Bilyeu commits, you're like, okay, we're doing this. So this is either going to be a spectacular (laughs) success or a spectacular failure, but we'll find
1: out here in about two months. So (laughs) yes, but thank you. All right. And if there's someone in the room or in the audience tonight, I I feel like you are an inspiring person. You're also a risk taker. You pick up and leave. You you just go with your heart, right? And so I would love to hear your advice to someone that is on the edge of that next step, that next stage of life. What advice do you have for them?
2: Yeah, I would... I would go back to. I think I maybe said this before, but um, for me, when I'm like on the, like when I'm making decisions, I try to fast forward and think through what is, what are future versions of myself going to be most proud of in like this moment. So if I'm thinking about putting on an event that I'm not qualified to do, but I believe in, like, okay, well, which decision am I going to be the most proud of? You know, or even after months of going into that, like, and not seeing the hope, the type of, traction that you'd hoped for. It's like, okay, what decision in this moment am I going to be most proud of? Is it like, oh, you know what? Maybe somebody else will do it next year. Or no, let's like, let's keep going and see where this goes. And regardless of the outcome, I'll be more proud that I went for it than having folded, right? doesn't mean there's never a time to quit. There's times where it's like, there are things that it does make sense to, to quit. Like pruning is a part of life, right? Where you choose to cut things out that no longer belong or don't serve you. But um, yeah, I think I think paying it forward, or like playing your life forward, and thinking through like, what what decision, what route am I going to be the most proud of? And if I'm gonna if I'm gonna make this decision, go down this path, am I gonna wish, in some part of me, that I had gone over here, or am I gonna be am I gonna feel really good about that? Um, So that's that's what I do. I think if you make that decision and you um, think through it that way, I think by going for it, you'll be more proud that you actually pursued something, regardless of whether you are. Like, whether you achieve what you're hoping to in that moment or not, the process that you go through, the learnings that you go through, um, the connections, like, the things that happen because of it, like, the fact that we're here now because of a decision we made, like, nine months ago, a year ago. It's just, it's beautiful what can happen just by making a decision to pursue something that you feel like is going to make you the most proud, and then you never know where that's going to go, regardless of whether you actually achieve the outcome you're hoping for in that moment. You'll be more proud that you made the decision to go for it than to sit back or take maybe an easier route that's less risky.
1: Beautiful. Thank you.
2: Thank you for sharing your story.
1: Thank you. Shout out to David for putting
2: this event on again.
0: Thanks so much for listening in and a big thank you to Mark for sharing their story of change and to David for hosting NFT Storyteller Seattle. This podcast is brought to you by Change now and is produced by me, your host, Drew Simon, founder of Crypto Altruism. Thank you to David All for his production support and to Soulmonster for the beautiful graphics design for the podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and write a fair review for our podcast. Make sure to visit changetown.org to follow along and check us out on Twitter at Changedown. For those listening in, I hope you'll join us for our next episode where we welcome another extraordinary changemaker and continue this movement of change one story at a time.